research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Uh, joined, as always, by our co-host, the co-pilot, Eric Eggers, author and vice president here at the Government Accountability Institute. Massive crash and burn, Eric. It was a massive crash and burn. And no, we're not talking about the United States' performance in the World Cup. <laughs> At least, at least not yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> give exactly. it time. Give it time. Exactly. But it could resemble, yeah. potentially, the collapse of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange, which has filed for bankruptcy court protection and is said to owe its 50 biggest creditors at least $3.1 billion. They're still trying to unwrap that. And we wanted to talk about this today, not just because I'm enormously frustrated because I've lost money <laughs> in the crypto markets, but to talk about what this means in terms of corruption in Washington, D.C. Now, people are going to look at this, Eric, and they're going to say, well, these are just business guys. These are finance guys. This is the collapse of the free market. It's just greed. But there's a hidden side to this, a political side to this that we want to get into because it demonstrates again one of the tried and true statements that we think is so important and that is this notion that big business and big government love each other they embrace each other they use each other and that certainly seems to be the case of what sam bankman freed the head of ftx was doing uh, as it relates to his exchange and his political support and donations. And you have a particular delight, I think, in this story, because while, you know, Peter Schweitzer <laughs> is a bit of an everyman in many respects, right? You're very humble uh, about your success and success, the, the research, the things you've conducted, the impact it's had on government, I think, in a positive way. Um you are a little bit judgmental when it comes to hippies. And, <laughs> and I think you like it when waspy, old school, working class values, people that reject those also fail. And that's what Sam Bigman's Freed has done today. It does. And so here's what, here's what I resent, <laughs> by the way, about, about the hippie part of this story is the dudes that are like, hey, we're hippies. It's all about love. It's all about peace and freedom. And oh, by the way, we're going to engage in a leveraged buyout and make massive amounts of money. Right. I mean, come on, here's the gloss. So I'm just going to read you one section. Oh, from see, the it doesn't Wall take Street much Journal. to get him going on this. Yeah, from the Wall Street Journal. Um, describing kind of how this business worked. It says the lives of the people who ran FTX and its related companies were similarly blurred. Ten of them lived and worked together in a $30 million penthouse at an upscale resort in Bahamas. So this is like a crypto hippie commune. Sounds like spring break. Yeah, but in a $30 million penthouse in the Bahamas. Yeah. The hours were punishing and the lines between work and play were hard to discern. Romantic relationships among Mr. Bankman Freed's upper echelon were common, as was the use of stimulants, according to former employees. Here's a great line, by the way. So Caroline Ellison, this is the sometime girlfriend of Sam Bankman Freed. She headed up the trading firm 
linked to uh, right because so FTX is a crypto exchange, right. and then there's a trading firm that was sort of a subset of that. So a couple of different businesses, both of which failed spectacularly, primarily because of the trading exactly and the debts it accrued. Exactly. Right. And well, so this is what Caroline Ellison said. Just sticking with a hippie vibe. This is what she tweeted as the CEO of the company earlier, quote, nothing like regular amphetamine use to make you appreciate how dumb a lot of normal, non-medicated human experience is, end quote. These are the people, of course, that we want running these big financial trade operations. But let's unpack this a little bit. Okay, it has crashed and burned, and we're going to talk about how that happened, why it happened. But the reason we're interested in, there is a government component to this. We're going to unpack how Sam Bankman-Fried was the second largest donor to Democrats in this election cycle. Uh, behind but, only George Soros. Behind only so, George I mean, Soros. And I think that's, I think, the point to make. The, the, the hippie culture and the amphetamine use and the love triangles and the Bahamian <laughs> existence and the fact the guy's walking around. I mean, Cory Booker is complimenting his afro. Right. And he's walking around in shorts and a hoodie. And, you know, I mean, I'm, it's an outfit I'm familiar with. <laughs> But, but, you know, I'm not over here making leverage buyouts and going on congressional retreats, unlike right. Sam Bakeman-Fried. Right. So I think that's the point is this guy became, within five years, right. the ultimate Democrat kingmaker. And he said he was going to potentially spend a billion dollars in the 2024 election cycle. And, and right. not just like, hey, here's an outside guy that decides to parachute in. He was welcomed and embraced by the Democrat political machine. That's and exactly right. as part of that embrace, he then tried to and was on the brink of, I think, passing uh, regulations or essentially carving out space to not be regulated for crypto and some other things. So, I mean, the access this guy got and the impact he almost had on financial markets, which literally have a global impact, is stunning yes. in the last five years. And it's crazy to think that this isn't like a madman you know, type corporate executive. This isn't right. the, you know, the oil exec who shows up right. with slick back hair and a thousand dollar suit. This dude's phoning it in from the Bahamas in a hoodie, and right. he almost got the same thing done, which is why I think you think the collapse is particularly delightful. <laughs> I do. I admit. I fully admit I'm enjoying this. And all you need to see in, in a simple act to demonstrate this unity between powers to be in Washington and this guy who basically was a charlatan uh, is when he went to testify before the House Financial Services Committee, the chairman is Maxine Waters from California, uh, as they're finishing up and they're done, Sam, Sam sort of waves at Maxine Waters, the chairman of the committee that's supposed to be overseeing regulation of him, blows him a kiss. <laughs> blows him a kiss. It's on video. It's unbelievable. So let's talk about that. Let's Before we get to sort of the juicy tidbits of what happened to FTX and why it should be a warning sign to all of us, let's unpack a little bit. The whole issue of cryptocurrency. Okay, I fully admit I've invested in crypto and I've lost a lot of money because I bought Bitcoin last November when it was at its high. Mm -hmm. And I have now sold it because I need the losses <laughs> for my taxes, but I'm probably going to buy it again. But a lot of people have had that experience. And look, that's the way the markets go. They go up and down. But the question that's been raging in Washington, D.C. is A, should crypto be regulated? Most people assume there should be some regulation. And B, who should regulate it? Right. You've got the Securities and Exchange Commission, which regulates securities and equities, that stocks and bonds and things like that. Publicly traded companies. Exactly. And they have pretty stringent standards. I'm not saying that things don't happen, things don't go right, but they have pretty in-depth requirements. 
The other body that like they disclosure requirements, for example, so you can look at a 10K and a corporation has to say, like, here's what our assets are. Extensive. Here's what yeah. yeah. And you're supposed to disclose conflicts, right? Of, of you know, if, if you're a company and you're buying another company that the CEO owns, that all has to be disclosed. The other regulatory body is the Commodities Futures Trading. Uh, commission, the CFTC, uh, which would be the other possibility. Some people argue that, well, crypto is more like a commodity. CFTC's disclosure requirements are not as strict as the SEC. So which one do you think Sam Bankman-Fried wanted to regulate crypto? I'm going to go with uh, the one that despite their heavy amphetamine use uh, <laughs> is the less stringent since I'm <laughs> guessing literally because of the hoodie, my man was less buttoned up. Yeah, he was less buttoned up and that's exactly right. right. He wanted the Commodities Futures Trading Commission um, and this played into his campaign donations, right? Um, if you look at the history, uh, his company lobbied to uh, for a bill that would have the CFTC, the smaller sister agency of the Securities and Exchange Commission, have oversight for all currency exchanges. Um, and what's interesting is, is that Sam Bankman-Fried gave an enormous amount of money to Democrats. That was the bulk of his money. But he did give some to Republicans, right? Yeah, and there's and which Republicans I think actually is the fun part about this, yes. right? So FTX almost exclusively donates to Democrats. Again, I mean, millions of dollars, tens of millions. I mean, tens of millions of dollars. Again, the only person that donated more money to Democrat politicians was George Soros, right? So I mean, that's the company we're talking about, and that guy's ninety four. Sam Bankman Fried's in his twenties, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is insane. Looks like he's seventeen, right? With the shorts on and the. But so FTX has given money to Democrats, but one of FTX's chief executives, a guy named Ryan Salome, he's the one funneling money to some Republicans. And who specifically? Yeah, maximum donations to individual candidates, including Republican senators John Hoven from North Dakota and John Boozman from Arkansas. Now, what do you think? Besides being Republicans, the ha they have in common. Uh, I'm thinking maybe they sponsored a bill right. to have the CFTC. That would be correct. They were, they were the sponsors <laughs> of the legislation. So the only people that uh, Bankman Freed and his company are giving Republicans to are giving to on the House Financial Services Committee, right, to, to basically lessen regulation and set themselves up to have a dominant position in an emerging market. Yeah. And you're suggesting this is not coincidence, right? Well, despite uh, <laughs> Sam Bigman Freed's, you know, and this is part of the hippie culture, right? right, <laughs> it's, right. it's just you know, very giving, very generous, very open with things. <laughs> that's all it is. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, so that's part of the problem here uh, that we always have. It's called regulatory capture. And that's a guy like Sam Bankman Freed and his firm. They support regulation if it's regulation that they control and that they direct. Uh, and again, this is one of the big misnomers. People think that big companies, big entities don't like big government. They actually do because they want to steer government and manipulate it and use it in the direction they want to go. And if you look back at past history, we've seen this with more established firms. So here we have Sang Bank Bankman-Fried and his company trying to write the regulatory regime for his company and his industry Go back to the financial crisis in 2008. You had this massive financial problem. There were new stringent laws written called the Dodd-Frank bill, right? right? Tell us about Dodd-Frank and who actually wrote that legislation. Yeah, there's a woman named Amy Friend who was, uh, I think, an assistant for Chris Dodd, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Senator Dodd. Senator yeah. Dodd. And so she 
essentially became like the point person and she and it became this labyrinthine. I remember we did analysis at one point of how many pages were in Dodd-Frank. It's like 10,000 pages when you looked at all the side rules. And it was like more than the last three pieces of financial legislation combined. Yes. I mean, so it's insane. Now, what happened to she, she do? She then leaves shortly after that and does what? Set up her own consulting, consulting firm. firm to specifically help companies regulate and, or excuse me, navigate the regulations that she helped write. Exactly. But what's stunning is she wasn't the only one. They did an analysis 10 years after the passage of Dodd-Frank. And of the 47 lawmakers who left Congress after serving on the House Financial Services Committee, who helped that, like where that bill came from, 15 of them uh, became... It, members of and started working for the financial industry that they helped oversee and regulate specifically for that piece of legislation. And 17 of the 40 senior staffers who served on the House Financial Services Committee in August of 2008 uh, took jobs representing large financial institutions as well. So it's, I mean, this is part of the revolving door. And this is one of the reasons why you say big business loves big government and big government sort of loves, loves big business because a lot of times these people have moved back and forth between the two. That's right. You've got the revolving door problem that you're discussing. You also have the reality that Dodd-Frank created these new heavy regulatory requirements on financial firms. Mm -hmm. Guess who was not opposed to that? The biggest ones, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And the reason was they knew that these regulatory requirements were going to squeeze out their smaller competitors. And that's what happened. A lot of the mid-size investment firms and banking firms went out of business. They were bought out by the big players. The point is when a Sam Bankman-Fried says, oh, we just want to help write the regulations because we want it to be good for everyone, what they really want to do is write a regulatory system that's going to allow him and FTX to buy out other competitors who can't afford to comply with the regulatory requirements. And this is where I think the political donations uh, and his level of political connections come in hand. Because what it raises questions is like, were they about to pass this law and were they make this the case because they think it's actually in the best interest of the American people and it's the best interest <laughs> of these emerging crypto funds? I mean, look, it's we're still figuring out a lot of different things about technology and how much technology has impacted daily life and you know, I think crypto is an example of that. We, yeah. One of the things that we talked about in the, in the film that we produced about just Google and Facebook, but I think it's about technology at large. But one of the people we talked to, she's like, look, man, it's, it's still an emerging uh, thing, this technology. So, I mean, it took us 50 years or, or much longer after, you know, automobiles were around before we started requiring seatbelts, right? I right. mean, it used to be you could pour oil into rivers. And so it's taken us, we're still learning how to care for sure. our physical spaces. And so we still have no idea how to care for our, digital spaces. And I think, right. right? And I think right. that's why you see companies consume our data. And I mean, all the things that happen there, like we, yeah. we still haven't caught up to that. And crypto, like that to the exponential power, like we don't really know what's happening. We don't know what the right way to regulate it is. Right. And so the people that then give the most money have the loudest voice. Right. And Sam Bigman Freed had a loud voice when it came to this because he gave a lot of money. He gave $5 million to Joe Biden's presidential campaign. He also, I mean, visiting the White House a ton of times. He is having two meetings with an advisor to Joe Biden, Steve Ricchetti. But this is my favorite part. His brother gets hired <laughs> to work <laughs> for a representative from Illinois, Sean Caston. Almost immediately after he gets hired, Representative Caston then gets named to the House Financial Services Committee, mm. which oversees regulation of crypto and hedge funds, among yeah. other things. Yeah. So like this guy was so juiced in and it's just crazy to me that 
it's not like he's been, it's not, he's not Goldman Sachs, right? right? He's not bit some decades long financial institution that everybody knows. And this, these guys know what they're doing. He just had a lot of money. Yes. He had, a, he had, he had a quick rise and, and here's the point. I, neither one of us are saying that, that crypto is bad and that you shouldn't be involved in crypto and all that's for the market to decide. That's for people to decide. And, and you and I have both invested in some, and, and I don't think it, you should put all your money into crypto, but maybe you put a little bit in. It just depends on how much you need to lose for your accountant, for <laughs> Peter Schweitzer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the point is, is that crypto itself, the, the San Friedman uh, Bankman Fried story is not a crypto is bad story. Right. It is a story about hubris and arrogance because here's the thing that turns me off on all of this and like relative fealty by our political institutions right, right. exactly exactly where are they yeah. where are they and here's the thing i was immediately suspect this guy was immediately suspect in my mind when he started to say oh no this is really not about me making money this is about me making money to altruistically give away to all these great causes I'm sorry. When somebody says that to me immediately, that that's their sole motivation, I'm immediately suspicious. And by the way, he's basically admitted now that a lot of the sort of philanthropy, a lot of the altruism they talked about was a posture. Right. It wasn't real. He's basically admitted that was a way to get people off of his back to allow him to go forward. But it's a story about that. And it's a story about where are the regulators? Mm -hmm. You know, I believe in the free market, but I also think if you're selling a product, a financial product, asking people to invest in it, there ought to be some regulation and there really wasn't regulation. And the people they were listening to was not somebody who had earnestly studied this. It was some dude in a hoodie who <laughs> set up a trading operation and was putting money into your campaign. And oh, by the way, his trading operation owned a company that was violating oh, the principles yeah. of the trading operation, right? Yeah. I mean, they- This is Alameda, Alameda right? had a special exemption. Tell people about the special exemption they had. So <laughs> if, if you're a company that's being traded, bought and sold on FTX, there's certain, they have disclosure yes. requirements, right? And yes. like, yeah, well, you, we're not going to allow you to be bought and sold if you have enough certain financial red flags. Alameda had a parade of red flags, but was continued was permitted to continue to exist. Yeah, this is a great, great part of the story. I say great with with irony. As long as you're not an investor. Yeah, exactly. So like if you and I were trading on FTX and we were doing a bunch of leveraged trades that we did not have money to cover in our account, uh, they would flag us. And they would halt the trades. These were called risk the risk engine at FTX. And again, I'm going to be quoting from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so these risk in engines were in place to monitor traders' bets across a dizzying array of cryptocurrencies. If someone's bet was going bad, the system would demand more collateral. If the tr if the trader didn't top up their account in time, FTX could liquidate the trader's assets. That's kind of the way that a lot of these financial institutions work. But the article goes on. Yet Alameda, which is the sister company owned by FTX, according to bankruptcy court documents, had a quote unquote secret exemption. In other words, the risk engine applied to everybody else except to the company that they owned that allowed it to avoid liquidations in cir certain circumstances. Alameda's special status allowed it to effectively rack up an estimated eight billion dollar bill with FTX. Much of that money was spent buying stakes in startups, obscure digital currencies uh, that they couldn't trade later on. The bottom line is, is that Alameda, the sister company, was given a special set of rules that didn't apply to everybody else, and they massively screwed it up. And that's when they had to start raiding other people's accounts 
to cover those bets. It's almost like people stayed up all night, did amphetamines <laughs> and made irrational decisions for an extended period of time. I mean, how else do you get $8 billion worth of debt? And then the question is, well, why did that impact FTX, right? And it's just so funny to me, you know, they're doing, like they bought the naming rights, the Miami Heat basketball yep. arena. Yep. They're doing commercials with Tom Brady and all these other athletes. And you sort of understand the concept of, we've talked about sports washing before. And so, I mean, if somebody gives you enough money, if you're an athlete or an actor or whatever, it's like, why do people do movies in China? Man, they're paying the bills on this one, right? Like Michael Caine was asked about being in Jaws 4 one time because I didn't see it, but I do see the house in the French coast that bought every day, you know? <laughs> so, so, I mean, so people, yeah. people, if you're in the private industry, you are bought and sold and that's, that's fine. Um, and so there was supposed to be, but there's FTX and Alameda is supposed to be separated by this firewall, but it's so funny. Uh, in fact, they weren't. The relationship, it says, was quite cozy to the point of Alameda's CEO and Bingman Fried actually having a romantic relationship. So That's no separation right. at all. That's and right. like this guy is such a mess, and yet he's the one literally helping to shape financial policy. Exactly. Exactly. And he's being taken as a as a serious person. I mean, that that's Look, there's no question that Sam Bankman-Fried has technical knowledge as it relates to finances and cryptos. The problem is, A, he has no experience, right? And, the, and there's this weird kind of attraction that uh, investors have, that the world at large has with young guys who come up with great ideas. There's a sense that they have kind of an innocence uh, to them. And, and Sam Bankman-Fried fit that category, right? He's this tech genius. He's smart. He's kind of a little wet behind the ears. The problem is that quote unquote innocence also means they don't know what the hell they're doing. And, and it's pretty clear uh, that he was overwhelmed with everything that was going on. In fact, one of my favorite um, things to come out of this story, this is a classic example of kind of the younger generation. Now I'm 57, so I'm going to sound like that old guy, you know, who's saying, get off my lawn. But Bankman Freed, so he's torched the company, right? The entire company collapses. All these people that have their money in the exchange see their money evaporate. Literally, he's got, you know, $3 billion owed to creditors. Exactly. Owed to creditors. Yeah. People that have their accounts, who knows where that money is? Bankman Freed goes on Twitter on November 10th and he says, I'm sorry. That's the biggest thing. <laughs> I mean, literally, I'm sorry. Like, that's no, the biggest thing. Actually, the, the biggest thing <laughs> is the $3 billion. That's that's actually, I mean, your apology is important. Right. Is it a $3 billion apology? Right. Right. Yeah. So, it, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, I think the other thing that Washington has to be skeptical of is inexperience. You know, there's there's the old line, not to get philosophical here, but I'm going to go to grad school here for here just a second. There is this notion that's attractive to us that goes back to, you know, Rousseau, the philosopher Rousseau talking about the novel savage, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that somebody who is not, you know, uh, clouded by the sort of Western world, who's untouched by, you know, formal education, there's a certain nobility and innocence to him. That philosophy is total crap. But anyway, that's that's basically the the attractive notion that still gets played out today in this notion that, hey, here's a guy when Sam Bankman Fried started this, he's 26 years old, this notion that, oh, this young, bright, 26 year old kid who's just smart and innocent is a guy that we want to lead this company. No, no. And regulators should look at it the same way. You need to look at experience. You need to look at knowledge. And the fact that he has a lot of money and he's throwing it around in Washington, D.C. should not be enough for people to say, this is a guy we should trust with helping us regulate 
this very important market. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is you're absolutely right. And just how quickly the doors get opened. Yes. And I mean, the fact that this guy rose to the level he rose within five years uh, and then was able to have access to the politicians he had access to and the policy positions that he was able to help shape and literally almost pass, I think is stunning and should be the, the cautionary tale. To, but, you know, will it? No. The next the next person will come around with a big check. I'm sure we'll get in the door as well. That's exactly right. Well, we appreciate you listening. As always, uh, the intersection of powerful forces outside of Washington, D.C. and those within is a complex, troubling and perplexing story. Uh, you know, the old story that when the elephants fight, it's the small animals in the field that gets damaged. Dude, look at your quote in Rousseau. <laughs> You're referencing, I assume, an African proverb. I'm impressed. But it's true. It's true, right? I mean, what I look at at FTX, because I know people that have invested in crypto. I know people that have been on FTX. You know, I know a guy who, you know, probably had $3,000, which is a huge amount of money for this individual, had money on FTX. Mm-hmm. And he's screwed. I mean, is Maxine Waters going to give back her cam- give back her campaign contribution? Is Sam Bankman Freed going to suffer because of this? Maybe, maybe he's going to go to jail. Who knows? But no, no he's not going to go to jail because he's sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the important thing. How much? How much other flesh do you need, noble savage? I love. By the way, it was done on Twitter. Right. right. It's not even done in person or in interview. It's just done. Well, over you should Twitter. just tell that to your buddy. He's like, "Hey, where's my three thousand dollars?" Like, dude, just check out Twitter. That's right there. <laughs> he's sorry. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening. You can find this podcast at thedrilldown.com, which also features a lot of stories about the research we're doing here. Uh, We appreciate you listening. And until next time, thank you.